You're listening to Grow Yourself Up, a weekly mental health podcast hosted by Kath Cunahan. I'm a psychotherapist, writer, and speaker working in private practice in London. I specialize in the impact of our own childhood on our parenting and how we can heal and integrate our childhood trauma, wounding, and stress so that we can inhabit our full adult selves. Join us each week as we talk about all things growing ourselves up, how we can tend to ourselves in our parenting, generational healing, and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma. Together, we will become more self-compassionate, connected, authentic, resilient, and heart-centered, so we can live our own full and beautiful lives. As a listener of this podcast, you're welcome to come over and join the Facebook group. So search on Facebook for Grow Yourself Up. It's a private Facebook group of all the listeners. And did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan, and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. Hello, welcome back. It's episode 68 of Grow Yourself Up, and today I'm joined by Lucy Jones. Lucy is an award-winning journalist and the author of four books, including the best-selling Losing Eden, Why Our Minds Need the Wild, which was published by Alan Lane, and it's a Times and Telegraph book of the year, and most recently, Matrescence, on the metamorphosis of pregnancy, childbirth, and motherhood. Her writing on science, health, and ecology has been published in BBC Earth, The Sunday Times, GQ, The Daily Telegraph, and The New Statesman. So um, I loved reading Lucy's book, Matrescence. It was published in June 2023. And I imagine that many of you have also probably read it. And what really, there's a couple of things that really struck me. Um, I love Lucy's emphasis on the mother as an ecosystem. So we are all each an ecosystem within our own systems. And very importantly, we're also part of a wider ecosystem. But the way that many of us mother or the way that we're set up to mother in this kind of isolated late capitalist society is um, in a very kind of singular, isolated way. And Lucy really made um, so many important links about how we need to be embedded in a, in a wider ecosystem for all of us, um, for our mental health and for our child's mental health. And um, I also loved it because uh, it was like reading some of my story. And I know from the mothers I sit with um, as my clients in therapy that it is also m many of their stories. And so I'm interested to hear about um, what you resonate with and um, whether it's also part of your story. And one of the things that I think about matrescence is that it's actually a trauma healing process for many of us. And that before you became a mother, you may not have realized the depth of your own pain or indeed some of the stuff that went on in your childhood. So when you have your children, um, they call you into a healing process. And that thing about children being our greatest teachers, I believe, is actually because they touch our pain and they call us to pay attention to wounds that need to be healed. So, so excited to get stuck into this conversation. Let's get started. 
So Lucy, tell us a bit about, um, tell us about your path to motherhood. Tell us about something about how, something about your expectations, how what happened might be different. What have you had to learn and unlearn? I know that's a huge question, but just go wherever it feels right for you. Sure. Um, so my path to motherhood, I think, was, um, I suppose my kind of context and my my background and upbringing was, um, I was brought up in, in quite a traditional, um, very Christian um, house, quite conservative, quite... Um, you know, nuclear family in, in England. And um, I remember just always knowing that I wanted to have kids. And um, that was not something I ever really questioned. It was never something that, um, it was just always there. I always really hoped that I would be able to have children. and. Um, I was quite kind of focused on that, I guess, in some ways, um, in my 20s. Um, my my parents divorced in my mid-20s, so I suppose that that probably gave a little bit of urgency to this idea of creating a new type of family um, and making a, a kind of healthy, happy home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I knew anything really about motherhood before I became a mother, authentically, genuinely. You know, I, ha- I had been mothered, and um, but none of my friends had kids. I, I became a mum in my thir- early 30s. Um, I don't think I'd never held a baby or changed a nappy um I was very much my kind of adult life adolescent and adult life was very focused on working earning career pleasure um alongside that you know a lot of kind of personal stuff going on too so before I had my daughter um in 2016 I I was, I'm a kind of like ashamed to say I was incredibly naive, very ignorant. Um, and what came after was an absolute, um, it was like, you know, a planet hitting a planet and creating something completely new for me. It was existentially, um, I mean, it's almost no words for it. Um, it upended everything I kind of thought I knew about the world um, philosophically. Um, it changed my ideas about men and women, fathers and mothers, um, children, vulnerability, working world. Um, it was kind of the most profound psychological, emotional, obviously physical, social, um, sociopolitical, existential experience of my life um which really took me by surprise and you covered can I say something you covered that so beautifully in your book I thought the way you brought in um the existential angle I really loved that I found that so useful I came across that research which is really um Claire Arnold Baker is is really at the forefront of that and you know that the kind of 
applying existential ideas and existential philosophy to motherhood just made so much sense to me. Like, of course, it's this huge existential upheaval. Uh, yes. You have to choose everything again. You know, everything changes. There's such risk. There's mortality. Um yeah, I, I responsibility. Responsibility, wow. exactly. I kind of had this idea, which you know, I think is our dominant culture idea, that motherhood would be this very chill, um, Pacific kind of pastel-hued, um, easy, you know, domestic life. And actually, it was, you know, it took me to the edges of what it has meant for me to be human, and um, you know, it's been rife with power and conflict and pain uh, and of course untold amounts of joy and love mm. but um there was there has been much of my journey so far you know that has been really uncomfortable um yes uh, and that has has been a real shock yes and i think that um I love all those things that you just said because it does, we have to choose again for everything. And that upending is such a surprise because what you, what you said about how it's going to be pastel and how it's going to be easy. Um, I can't tell you how many people tell me that and also how it's going to be. Um, it's like your baby is just going to be an accessory in your life and it'll just, it'll be like a magazine spread where suddenly now you've just got all these new accessories and the baby to go with the accessory and it'll be smooth. And it's the biggest, it's like the most jagged journey ever. I was also taken to the edges of what it means to be human. Um, and I think that sometimes I worry on this podcast, am I too negative? Like, should I do more just on joy or something? But I feel like for mothers, we haven't had our story told. We're not enough in like the public lexicon and Specifically, the stuff around how hard it is does not get enough airtime. Um, so I really love to hear about the joy and what you talk about pain and power and all of that. Um, do you want to say a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess, um, well, I mean, the joy has been manifold for me. It, I find, you know, my, my young children, it's very hedonic. You know, there is you know, great, like, the kind of embodied experience of the intimacy with, you know, a beloved yeah. young child has been you know, one of the most profound experiences of my life, I think. And, you know, they taught me to play. They've taught me how to play again, how to, to live, you know, for a little while outside the marketplace and, you know, think about, they've allowed me to, given me the opportunity to, consider you know what I value and to slow down and to really be present um and that is not I mean I'm not saying that that is something I can access every day but you know and it actually it can be quite painful when you know my two-year-old yeah. wants to just sit and look at a conquer for you know an hour or so but it's taught me to slow down and um that's that's that there's much joy in that um but I think you know, pain is part of the journey for many people. I mean, of course, it, you know, childbirth and then, you know, sleep deprivation. These are not easy. These are like major, major things that, um, you know, a, a human animal can go through. Um, I think one of the things that really surprised me was how, um, 
how actually their, the, the dysregulation of a young child. So um, I have three children. One is probably quite high needs, very high sensitivity. Um, and you know, there was a lot of tears and there's a lot of um, big feelings, big feelings probably for many people of my generation growing up in the 80s and 90s were not really accepted or tolerated. And, you know, so I think there's it's quite complex work to to parent in a way that you haven't maybe been parented because it wasn't culturally kind of acceptable. Um, yeah. And I have found in motherhood a kind of, it's been a bit like a skinning for me. Like I've always been sensitive, but there's been a new sensitivity, you know, anxiety, neuroses, a feeling of being very uh, vulnerable. And, you know, in a way that's amazing because I feel very open to the world and like I'm more creative. My intellectual mind feels much more on fire, I think, since having children. But at the same time, that's, you know, I have had to start to learn how to protect my nervous system, how to like truly try and regulate myself at a moment where, you know, a, a young child is just simply screaming for a long time and there's not much you can do um, apart from kind of be there and try and yeah. keep calm. Um so that that is I am in no way near kind of solving it's not you know it's not a problem to solve but um there are some things that I found really useful which is learning about the nervous system um I have I now have like particular earplugs which I sometimes wear if I feel I go I'm going into kind of fight or flight for a long time um I'm learning how to try and rest and how to prioritize you know having a bath in the dark at the end of the day, making a kind of sensory deprivation tank, little things like that. Yes. And I didn't expect that to be part of motherhood, you know, to be having to really work hard at trying to literally, you know, calm myself to the point of feeling okay. Yes. Well, I think that, um, first of all, I want to say, I love the way in your book and what you also just talked about now is how, um, there are so many different levels of pain in motherhood because there you're right, the birth, the physical pain of that, the physical pain of sleep deprivation, like the ache you get on your back when it feels like you actually cannot go on and all the big emotional pain. And I, and your book captures that really well in terms of all the different layers. Um, and I think that what you just talked about, about having like time to um, have sensory, like, like a time to be deprived of, of sensory input at the end of the day. Um, we talk about here about widening our window of tolerance. And I think many of us just did not, that, that, that thing about holding space for big feelings, that's so dependent on how our feelings were held and on um, how, because I think for many of us, our own children's feelings literally spark a lot of danger, like so many signs of danger coming to our nervous system. And so it's huge, complex emotional work to, first of all, learn that that's not a sign of danger, that we can hold space for that. But it's so invasive. I mean, it's like an assault. Parenting, I think, is like an assault course a lot of days. Um, and how do you kind of, like, I, I, I know you've said you're sh- like learning about your nervous system and you're um, 
doing all of that, how do you kind of on a day-to-day basis support yourself with that? How do you? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, there's been a lot of different kind of experiences, I think, over the last few years. Um, I think, I mean, a lot of it has been um, kind of taking it seriously enough to spend the time learning about it. So um, things like I have gone through, you know, a process of learning about my neurodivergence and I've learned about self-compassion, which has been really big. Um, and so I think in a way, you know, it's, it is trying to find ways day to day of trying to understand and make sense of what's happening because my default, um, my default kind of message or idea in my head is how can I be finding this so difficult when I'm so lucky and I'm so blessed um, and I have everything I've ever wanted and how it's not right that I should be finding this hard. Like that is the kind of thought that I have to battle a lot um, in order to get to a place of, you know, it's okay to take some space or it's okay to find this hard or, um, so yeah, day to day, I mean, I think probably connecting with friends who, um, either other mothers or people, you know, who kind of, uh, understand these things and, you know, people who I can connect with, who I've got a friend who we do like a listening, um, we do listening time where oh, that's lovely. Yeah. It's really, it's really cool. We can leave each other voice notes you know, however we feel, we can just kind of, you know, just, just say, and that feels like a really safe space, um, that we've created. Um, I find a lot of connection in, I go to a forest school with, um, my two year old and that's become like, you know, I always think I go to forest school for the child, but actually the more I kind of spend time in the forest school community, I think a lot of the time it's for mums and dads and to be, to be together in the woods. Um, and then, so lovely. Yeah, so lovely. I mean, writing for me is always a way of getting through things. So if I have a particularly uh, panicky moment or, you know, if, I, if something, if, if like the children are fighting or I feel very kind of uncomfortable in myself, writing it, it all down, what happened and how I feel it's very cathartic for me. Um, so a bit of that, trying to run a bit more, though that's been complicated by my birth um, experiences, but I'm trying to run because um, I've always run. Um, and, you know, I think, and you talk about this a lot in your podcast, like I, I definitely turn to food and buying stuff and sugar and all those things which, you know, it's a, it's a real heady mix, I would say. If I'm feeling not so tired, I can probably access, you know, the good thing for me to do here would be to go and sit under my favourite tree for 10 minutes, you know, when my husband finishes work. Rather than, yeah. You know, eat a load of chocolate cake or something. Um, depending on where, where I am in my cycle as well, actually. I'm really, um, I'm tracking that at the moment and that's a big thing for me. 
terms of that does make a huge difference, actually, doesn't it? Um, I think that when we're I can't remember when the one just before our period comes. I can't remember if that's is that winter? I can't remember, but um then it I think I notice how much more I want to eat and I think this is a really a subject very close to my heart about um and I one day I'm gonna do this, but I keep on thinking, what are we doing to get through motherhood? Because we're all doing something. And I think that there has to be kindness around that because in many ways, like if I look at myself, chocolate buttons helped me get through COVID, chocolate buttons and a lot of brown rice, like way too much brown rice than was what I needed. Um, and to some extent, I think that that it, it, it fills the gap between what I hope to have in my village um, and what I do. And because I sometimes have to push myself beyond my capabilities, food covers that gap for me, essentially. Um, and um, sometimes at bedtime, I said to you before, I notice I buy stuff at Zara because I'm I'm feeling dysregulated and shopping has been a resource for me. Um, and then I have to go and return it. Um, I'm happy that I now return things. But I think we also need so much compassion around this because I think we are all doing something to get through. And it's how unmanageable it makes our life or, or you know, is it within the realms of uh, like okayness? Because otherwise we can be, like I know my relationship with sugar is formed in childhood as a baby probably. And, um, you know, that Janine Roth say, book that says, when food is love, um, honestly, that it makes my heart want to crack open every time I say those words because for so many of us, it is so close to love. And it might be the only way we've ever learned to love ourselves. So I think, especially in motherhood, all of the stuff rears up so much. And and we need like just so much tenderness. So much tenderness. It really does. I think it's it's a kind of so confronting um, on so many different levels. And yeah, the, the food and sugar stuff is very um relatable i mean before i for for my for most of my adolescence and 20s i was relying on alcohol to regulate my emotions um and then it and then i got sober at 27 uh and i started to realize i had absolutely no idea of of my what my emotions were i was so disconnected from my emotional life um and then when I had my children, it was really difficult to get to meetings, 12-step meetings, which was how I got sober. Yeah. And um, for me, I think kind of food has been you know, quite a predictable way of feeling some kind of reward or getting energy, um, you know, pushing a buggy in, in you know, shopping centres for hours. What can you do but get a cookie? Yeah, <laughs> it's very there, very there. Um, and I think you're right. It is. I can get into a kind of place of, you know, I need to be doing this better. I, like the other day, I went through. I was like, I'm going to just quit sugar completely. Um, and I've been coming off an antidepressant recently, and you know, it, it just has not been a good time to come off, try and quit sugar. But I can be quite kind of yeah. black and white and extreme in some ways, and. I think the thing that we forget having been brought up in such an individualistic culture is exactly what you're saying. We're trying to kind of replace a village or 
there, there's a reason that you know you know that, that I might reach for sugar and it's not necessarily what I think it, that I'm a bad person or or a person it, there's there's so many fault lines and issues in the way the institution of motherhood functions in our culture um the institution of family and they were so nuclearized now um that for many people it can feel quite brutal i think yeah it's very brutal i think because often because i have also had that thing of i have been abstinent on sugar for periods of time and um i'm i'm not currently absent from sugar but um I have thought to myself, I need to get rid of this. It's destroying the inside of my body. It's just going to create all these things for me. Da, 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 da. And um, what I do know, especially around food and sugar, is if we can connect to someone and just say how we're feeling, it makes the most immense amount of difference. And just the heat of everything just kind of comes down. But when we're parenting alone um, in our in our families, you know, in our four walls at six thirty at night. There is often, I mean, your listening partner, I love that idea, but there's often no one, um, there's no one there. Mm. And so we have to actively, I like the section on your book where you talked about what groups are available and, and what sort of options they are, but we have to toil to create our own village in some sense. Absolutely. And I think often, like for me, much of my village has been actually podcasts and you know, Instagram and being able to like have you know, you know and I lo- you know I love your podcast having podcasts like that on in the background or you know not so much at bedtime but you know when you can or being able to kind of check in I think Instagram's actually quite a radical place for new ideas kind of rethinking and revolutionizing um notions of of motherhood feels like um you know for all I absolutely use my screen and my social media to kind of totally zone out in a probably unhealthy way. But I think, there, you know, there's good stuff there. Absolutely. There's absolutely good stuff. And I think that that feeling of knowing that we're not alone. And I want to return to something that you said, if it's okay about, and um, where you said you have this feeling of how can I be feeling this? I shouldn't be feeling like this. I've got everything I wanted. And I think that that is part of the like the conundrum that we're faced with, that we do get what we want, especially if we've had a journey of um, already like a healing journey. And then we get, for me, I spent um, a long time wanting just to even have a healthy relationship. So getting to get someone to have children with was a huge success. And then to get to have the children felt like, oh my word, like all my dreams have come true. And then it's just like a fucking disaster. But I think that it's a game that our stories have been not been shown because no one's ever said to us, actually, this is going to rip you apart, basically, but you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. Like, well, we have to, have to, have to allow ourselves that this has great beauty and, and we really want to do it. And it might be really terrible. Yeah. And that doesn't mean we're bad. Like I want to pick up your like inner child and just give us such a squish to say it's it's okay. Mm-hmm. I think it's so connected to, you know, the like motherhood. Yeah, it's 
it's definitely the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life the most meaningful the children have brought me the most joy and contentment and delight and wonder but at the same time um it's broken me open in a way that has been really uncomfortable and that is it's so at odds with the kind of you know dominant cultural narrative the sentimentalization of motherhood seeing particularly you know yeah i look at this in, in my book and the research i have found really helpful to do to to look at the historical context and the economic context and why you know with industrialization when the kind of productive unit of the home was split up um yeah. you know, the public and the private were separated the two spheres the man going off to the factory the woman staying at home not kind of working in the same way enclosure happening not being able to forage off the land um and then you see this big sentimentalization of the the role of mothering and then add to that you know psychoanalysis and you know brilliant attachment theory obviously we all you know so grateful for for that work and what that's meant for how we imagine and think about children however it has been i think very uh cherry picked Bowlby talked about, you know, yes, you know, it's very important this primary attachment, but one person cannot do it. And he specifically yeah. said society has to help uh, the primary caregiver, which is what, you know, most collective child rearing societies across the world know. It's something yes. we seem to have in kind of Anglo American culture really forgotten. Um so I, I think that, you know, podcasts like yours and you know, there's, there's lots more books and stories coming out. My, my hope you know, with my book is that just by telling a story, you, you can just kind of dissolve some of the shame that I, I, can, I know that people feel and that sense that I think it's Arlie Hochschild who had the phrase feeling rules. She had this phrase, you know, there are these feeling rules about motherhood where you literally cannot you're not allowed to feel what you feel you know the, this all these kind of more darker darker things and that's that's serving someone but it's not serving mothers no it's not serving others i'm quite cynical about some of this because i think that the sentiment sentimentalization um serves capitalism it serves to keep us um focused we're, we're too busy like we're too tired and we're too busy doing all this unpaid care work. But really, I think that the revolution is starting. I think there is a revolution in pro process to say, like, this needs to be valued. This is vital work. Um, I mean, we are doing so much unpaid work, and it's such important work. Um, in some sense, I think that raising very emotionally healthy children will undermine capitalism, though, because there won't be so much overworking and self-abandonment and... Um, thinking that I need to like drive myself and drive myself and drive myself. But anyway, we don't have to go to that. No, no, that's such an interesting point though. I think that's 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 brilliant. I um that's that's fascinating. I haven't really thought it that it that way, but yeah, I'm going kind of thinking about that a little bit at the moment because my four year old started school and he's summer oh, wow. summer born. So it's been quite tricky. Um and you know, I don't want him to learn that he has to go in every day when he's 
uh, tired or like overtired, you know, and kind of push yourself. And, um, but that, and I'm lucky that I freelance at home. So I'm, and I'm at home with my two year old and writing from home. But, you know, for most people, that's not an option. They, you know, they're, no, want to work and and the the imperative for the focus to be on kind of you know consumerism and on hypercapitalism, I think, can be uh, erod- eroded or at least questioned and challenged by um, thinking about and and really seeing the vulnerability of children, vulnerability of new mothers, because it's kind of like this the disavowal of the maternal experience and the early childhood experience means that we can have this crazy kind of gluttonous economic system. You know, it, it, it's not, it, it doesn't work. It's too, it's too extractive. But I, I really believe that the, the matrescence and that experience can shine a light on those inequalities and those, those ways of thinking which just don't, do not serve us. They absolutely don't serve us. And in these small pockets, like you sharing about this, you sharing about how you want to teach your four-year-old son that that his, you know, honoring his body is important. That shifts everything because, I mean, I totally agree with you. And I think that um, it points to the way we try and break the family early on. Because who said that it was a good idea that we all wake up at seven o'clock and we all go off to different corners of wherever we live, and then we only gather back together in the evening. Why can't we have different models of um, parenting where there's someone who does some work, but then someone who looks after 10 children all day, and then people only go to school later? I mean, I know this might sound like real fantasy thinking, but um, we've been part of an alternative sort of, we haven't been in the schooling system for about the last 18 months. We are, well, anyway, I won't go into that, but there's lots of different possibilities for reimagining things and it feels really scary, really, really scary. But um, I think the revolution comes because we sort of look at our children and we think, oh, I don't want to put this, like I don't want my children to have so much trouble with presents as I do. Yeah. And with rest, actually. And with going to bed. <laughs> I'd like them to just put themselves to bed when they're tired at like nine o'clock. Um, exactly. But it's, it, it, is, it does feel like there's a lot of um, potential kind of movement and energy around change. I mean, before, like, before I wrote my book, I really thought, um, I really had, I was really scared about it. I really didn't think, I thought, this is just me, my story, you know. I have done a lot of research, but is anyone going to really? And I, actually, I was scared. I thought, I'm going to get, <sighs> you know, it, it felt so, it felt, uh, seditious almost and kind of to, you know so many taboos but since publishing in June like the the response I have got from people messaging me you know like it it's been hugely affecting moving a sense that there are a lot of new mothers mothers who have been living in kind of shame feeling like they couldn't feel how they do not able to talk about it not validated you know kind of quietly furious yeah um very abandoned by society by the workplace you know by the the structure of the family um hungry and desperate for change um yeah and actually need really needing something different society to be something different like i really get a sense from the messages i'm getting that there's like this potential 
fifth wave energy around kind of transforming care work. Yeah, and I think it's really happening. And I love what you said about um, you said uh, you said quietly furious or something. You said, mm-hmm. but I think we we have so much fury. And we have often lots of fury because we've been suppressed in childhood. I mean, there's so many of us who, so our fury is coming out and it can be so constructive, I think, to kind of galvanize change. And I hope that you know, like I really want to say to you, it's a beautiful book, a wonderful book. And I hope you don't feel scared anymore. Oh, thank you. No, I do. Now, you know, the message that I've got from people have been incredibly gratifying and also, and personally, like very healing, I think, to know that, yeah, you know, this isn't just me. This is you know, so many of us. Um, yeah. And that there, even if we are, you know, in our little nuclear houses and, you know, where I live, you know, there's a library, thank God, because I don't know what else I would have done. But you know, it's hard to, it's kind of hard to like have connections with people. So even, you know, I'm seven years in, but even like get, having this sense from from the book that people are feeling similarly, it has been really healing. Yeah, really healing. And in some way, I think um, the, I want to talk about the spider analogy. I must remember this, but um, sometimes it's more comfortable to connect with someone online to know that they may have some of the same feelings as you and also want to be real and honest and discuss all the stuff because, and you talked about this in your book about how hard it is to go to a mother's group and then um, feel, I don't used to feel like I was the only sort of person who was like crying all the time. And it's difficult to kind of say that because we arrive and then we flood them with all our emotions. So um, that's one of the reasons I love Instagram actually, because then you can find some, uh, like-minded people and then kind of proceed to in real life. Um, but I wanted to, to say something about, I think collectively women have been socialized to be codependent. And I'm just using the word codependence at a very high level here to say that we've been taught we have to always meet other people's needs. And in your book, so for anyone who hasn't read it, I really suggest you read it, but it's, it's woven with all these, um, like, I guess, ecological vignettes, kind of, Examples from nature about like, um, like tardigrades and things that I've now subsequently seen lots about, which I love and now I know how small they are. And, but there's one specific, um, in between, like a small chapter in between the other bigger chapters. And there's one about a specific spider. And I think it's a very beautiful analogy for how some of us might feel, um, that we need to be in motherhood in terms of sacrificing ourselves. Can you tell us a bit about the analogy and, um, about how you wove that into the book, all the different um, nature bits? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so this is a species of spider. In fact, there are quite a few of these um, species where the mother will give birth to all of her young. So she'll have kind of scores of baby spiders um, that hatch out of her eggs. And then she will lay, lay, lie down, kind of turn over, and she will allow the spiders to eat her. Uh, devour her and she dies um, and that's how they get their sustenance to go about their merry lives um, I just oh, I watched the video and I read a lot about it and I just thought what in the process of writing the book and thinking about um, 
matrescence. And I, I mean, I wrote the book kind of for my own psychological, social survival in some ways to make sense of what was happening to me. And, you know, how could this, you know, what, what I thought would be the greatest, best, easiest thing that's ever, you know, how could it be, have, how could I have like lost myself in such a profound way or felt so bewildered anyway? Um, and I couldn't, because, you know, as we've discussed, there aren't many realistic or authentic portrayals of motherhood in the culture. I couldn't really find myself there. Now I, I had a lot of, there were a lot of key texts, which were really fundamental for me, like Adrienne Rich and, um, yeah. Andrea O'Reilly's work and you know, some, lots, lots of books, Sharon Hayes and, and so on. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm someone who just loves kind of ecology and, and spending time in the woods and, and just naturally out there. Um, and so I turned to the wider world around me. Um, you know, I was spending a lot of time, you know, walking with a buggy and looking at trees. And I had postnatal depression with two children and spending time in the woods and in near trees was really healing for me as it had been mm-hmm. before I had children. Um, and I was really drawn to these stories of metamorphosis. Uh, of, of chaos and violence, you know, volcanoes and um, how the moon was created, which was by like a planet kind of crashing into another planet of uh, process and change. I felt that the culture was telling me, you know, you have a kid. My midwife literally said about wait nine months on, nine months off. God, I want to shoot people when they say that. I mean, seven months on, no, it's. Yeah. <laughs> well, me too i'm seven years into you yeah. um bounce back culture you know i'd be going back to work at nine months in the same way uh and i felt you know um that i was undergoing this phenomenal metamorphosis that i'd literally become a different person um so i grounded myself in finding these stories in the wider world and something that i'm coming to call a kind of macro ecology if I tried to use the maternal yeah. to think about ecology and the ecology to think about the maternal, um, because I think... Oh, I love that. Yeah, I think I'm a kind of macro-ecological way of thinking because, you know, on one level, there's so much imagery, metaphor, symbols, signs, um, stories around us um, in other species, in space, and, you know, tardigrades and quantums quantum share I, we can sh- swear right um of course we can swear <laughs> um which i think are grounding and at the same time um we are you know we're living in a time of multiple crises the ecological crisis mm. the care crisis uh inequality crisis and i think these are actually all symptoms of a similar cause you know this kind of extractive yeah um, repressive, um, dominating kind of way of thinking about the human in the world, um, and I think those those two um, threading that through the book just felt like quite a kind of generative and potentially kind of dynamic way of thinking about um, matrescence and what thinking about matrescence in an ecological way could could do or could lead to. Yeah. 
And I think you're so right about that extractive culture because we live still in a culture where the elite extracts from us, the workers, and I mean, and everyone extracts from the earth. But what we do then is we try and extract from ourselves um, in, in terms of I need to be a perfect mother. So I'm going to extract myself, extract from myself. And I think like that spider analogy for me was just like, we cannot we need to give mothers a different view of motherhood. We cannot make out like feeding yourself to your young in any way. But that's what sometimes it feels like is being asked of us in some metaphorical way is in no way good for the mother. And I, I always come back to the idea that meeting our own needs is like the seat of our power. But, but that's such a huge shift for so many of us in motherhood. How did, because I know in your previous book, you talked about how nature really supported your own um, mental health and, and putting down um, drugs and alcohol. Um, how, how did you deal with your own needs? How did you kind of have a reacquaintance with them or like a reckoning? Um, and I love, hear, I love hearing how nature helped you with that as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm still in the middle of it, definitely in the midst of it. And um, I think for me, um, you know, before before kids it, it was definitely easier for me to meet my needs be able to kind of um you know have the kind of 12 step support I mentioned and look after myself get enough sleep um and you know I realized when I put down drugs and alcohol that I was actually really quite introverted like I love people but you know I, I was drinking not to feel kind of shy and self-conscious and actually well, I, I need a lot of downtime um of course that's not you you can't get that when you're you know in in early motherhood it's it's really no almost impo- completely impossible so it has been really hard because i have felt that both um not only have i been kind of physically un- quite unable to meet my needs often you know sleep um uh you know exercise anything like that but also I have felt, you know, really susceptible to the myth of uh, perfectionist motherhood, martyrdom, the idea that my needs are don't exist or are not, as you would say, like legitimate. Um, you know, I have felt it has, it is and has been a real process of me trying to, uh, you know, and I've had you know, different types of therapy for this even, to try and see that actually my needs are exist um, and that I can't just kind of be subsumed by other people's needs. Um, so, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, for me, it has, it has often been the woods and I have kind of been able to create, I think, a bit of a culture in our family of spending a lot of time in nature. And that is not always pleasant you know sometimes it will be five minute walk because you know toddlers don't want to do what you want often want them to do and you know, i'm not i don't want to paint a picture yeah <laughs> pastoral you know scenes in nature which are like always lovely it's not um <laughs> but i'm lucky that you know young children do like spending ages looking at ladybirds and so do i um so that's been quite I've yes. kind of managed to create this kind of culture, I think, where I, I get something from, for example, this morning I was in forest school and I was getting a lot from just being able to be in the woods and, and so was my two-year-old. Um, and 
Yeah, I think um, they have. My needs have to be very quite simple at the moment. You know, it has to be you know a bath, and a bath now and again, and a run now and again, and um, learning that that is something that I should take for myself. It's not small, um, but I think I want to teach my children that their needs. You know, it's all so complicated, isn't it? It's so complicated. I identify with you about, um, so I'm also sober. And um, I would drink on social anxiety. And I think actually for many of us, drinking enables us to do things or manage situations that we actually just think, God, this is really crap. I don't actually want to be here or this is not interesting in any way. Or, But previously I would pretend it was interesting because it was I thought it was cool or trendy or something. But, um, and so I think that actually there's a lot of us where, who have nervous systems that need a lot of breaks and, um, that widening our window of tolerance takes many years. It takes many years of repeated practices of more sleep, um, uh, deconditioning from stress, because I think so many of us have learned to survive and in, in our survival state. So we just kind of, continue to live like that and actually that sort of long-term moving out of that survival place is long-term um and that it's that what you said about the illegitimate it's still sometimes um because what you said earlier about how can i find this how come i um had struggled with this when it's always what i've wanted it's also that thing of um, how come, what I often do is how come I find this harder than other people? Like what's my problem? Um, and I think all of us find it hard in similar ways and maybe hard in different ways, but that endless turning to ourselves to like love and nurture and not extract from ourselves. Um, it's just so important. Um, and I think that in the, in your book, you really shared about how nature does that for you and how um, I loved what you talked about, about how you access groups um, that you said you, I think you said you went to Naomi Stadlin's group. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing I'm, I'm noticing the time. I wonder what else you might want to share from your book or um, something that's you've, that's really helped you live with more ease, you know, something that's helped you be loving to yourself and loving to all your own parts. Yeah, I think it has, I mean, for me, my journey has definitely been, you know, actually needing help from other people. So I, what something that's really helped is having like specific types of therapy, um, like therapy, like around kind of, you know, motherhood and, and that idea and um, looking into kind of neurodivergence and how to kind of manage um the world um uh and for me like antidepressants has has been part of my journey and um me too yeah i think lots of different ways of of kind of getting through and um i guess i mentioned that because i'm someone i i think i've often been someone I think I have quite an anxious attachment kind of vibe and I have lots of amazing friends and I love people so much but I I can withdraw and I can um 
sometimes maybe keep people at arm's length a little bit because I'm frightened of of criticism or judgment or whatever. But actually, in and it actually is quite easy to do that in motherhood because you can just kind of end up isolating, you know, with a young baby and yes, and disappear. And that that is, I think, why so many women are, are get very lonely in early motherhood. But I guess I'm mentioning this because for me it has been. Uh, as well as you know connecting with the woods and the trees and the rivers which has been massive for me actually cold water swimming for my nervous system um wonderful I'm looking looking at it I have really needed people um I have like you know whether that's professionals or you know podcasts or you know, my friends and you know, the village that I've created and as much as I think our our system individualizes us and tries to disconnect us and atomize us in our little homes and you know I am completely susceptible to using like shopping and capitalism and sugar to soothe myself rather than or to try and soothe myself rather than people but actually it has been realizing that I'm an ecological being and that I am vulnerable and that I do need um, an ecosystem that has probably been a big learning for me um that needs to kind of keep me on my feet yeah yeah that we're we're human animals and we we need to we need our social groups and a kind of any way we can get those because it might be that people like i am someone who is happy to have anyone come into my home i'm like come over I'll make you a cup of tea. I'll give the kids supper. Come over. Like it will be not a glamorous supper. It'll be fish fingers, but please come over. Um, and I sometimes think people think I'm a bit weird because of that, because I'm, you know, anyway. But I think that that's, I found that really helpful because when people are in your home, um, well, I guess I want to say to everyone who's listening and that we have to kind of anywhere, like just be, be brave, be putting yourself out there, you know, just invite people. Um, and, connect and share numbers because the person who I used to do a lot with, we used to have supper once a week, another twin mom whom I, I met at a bus stop like up the road from my house. Um, and, um, and that brought me so much sanity, you know, it's those, those things that, so yeah, I, th- I, th- I love what you said because I think, especially in this era of like thinking we can heal ourselves, we have to kind of recommit to a group and and it's horrible sometimes to acknowledge our vulnerability because so many of us have been brought up to be hyper independent and um it's it's a real dance to get back into that mode of friendship and to know um because especially I'm also actually attached and then I'm like oh have I done something wrong do they think I'm a weirdo am I pain have I contacted too many times and I think that like navigating that is really complex as well especially in the new motherhood space yeah Absolutely. I think, and and I think, I guess, like, you know, going back to kind of what we were saying earlier, it is um, shame, which I think is the thing which separates people and, and, you know, definitely like Brene Brown, you know, called it mother shame, um, that can kind of separate kind of new mothers. But that is, you know, yes, we need like structural systemic change and revolution and to like totally reorganize, you know, the working world to make it more flexible, to make our streets more livable so children can play on the streets, yeah. and they're not so dominated by cars, um, you know, to create a much more 
uh, kind of life friendly world. But in the meantime, um, you know, if by sharing our stories, um, and, and I, I, we can dissolve that shame, I think. And then, and then that, that is, that is a possibility to connect, you know, even tomorrow you can, you know, it's possible to do that. It's possible to, if you feel you can, you know, um, have those connections with people with, with honest talk. Yes, exactly. Cause, cause those breaking the system down takes time, but we've got our own power to change things just like one little bit at a time and give ourselves that co-regulation with another human and just keep on trying. I still keep on trying. So both Lucy and I keep on trying. So keep on trying. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lucy, thank you so much. This has been so joyful and beautiful, like a little oasis in my day. My husband's doing swimming lessons now, so so, um, so this has been really joyful. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. And um, do you want to tell us where we can find you on social media and that we can buy your book from your website and your personalized messages? Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Sure. So, yeah, Matrescence um, is out anywhere you buy your books. If you... You can also buy one via my website. I do signed copies of personalized messages. Um, I'm on Lucy F. Jones on Instagram. I'm on Twitter or X, whatever it's called, Lucy Jones and Facebook. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a few events around and about. So come and say hi. And I have a website as well. It's lucyfjones.com. And are the tickets for your events on the website? Often, often. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Lucy. Take really good care. Thank you so much. Pleasure. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up, hosted by Kath Cunahan. We'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart centered, connected, authentic, and resilient living.